0: It's a terrible experience to have to be institutionalized to deal with deep emotional issues. It's hard. It's humiliating.
1: At the very height of Terry Wardle's career, while he was leading a large church, teaching graduate courses, and raising a family, he had a breakdown.
0: Uh, depression is a beast. Uh, it really is. It, it causes you to lose perspective on what's real and what is not real. Uh, it's hard to muster up hope. There's a
2: song buried deep inside my soul, inside the surface, it's in the places that I've been afraid to go.
1: But I know it's worth it. Hope is exactly what Terry found when he began to address the painful childhood memories he had tried to bury. Terry is sharing his story with us on this episode of GPS, God People
3: Stories. It's an outreach of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I'm Jim Kirkland. And I'm Phil Fleischman. Terry discovered that God did not intend for him to be trapped or held back by the pain of his past. You're going to hear a word about that from Billy Graham a little later in the episode.
2: God did not create you to be defeated, discouraged, and frustrated by wandering souls seeking in vain for peace of heart and peace of mind.
3: So what did God create you to be? Well, you'll hear Billy Graham answer that in just a few minutes. You can also learn more about it anytime at this website, findpeacewithgod.net. That's findpeacewithgod.net. Certainly this week, our attention
1: has been on Hurricane Dorian and thinking about this catastrophic event in the Bahamas and what it might mean for the United States, at least as we look at it at this point of recording GPS this week, it brought to mind that this would be a very good time to share about the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team, its mission and its purpose in ministry. And to do so, we have the International Director of the Rapid Response Team with us, Jack Mundy, and he'll share here in this episode.
4: GPS. God. People. Stories.
0: My name's Terry Wardle. I grew up in a little coal mining community in western Pennsylvania. I uh, lived in a home that was marked by a, a significant amount of brokenness, and it was generational for sure.
1: Terry Wardle's great-grandfather was from England. He was a criminal who had abandoned his wife and children to come to the United States illegally. Once in the U.S., he got his cousin pregnant and started the new family in a little town called Venetia, Pennsylvania.
0: They made their living through coal mining, a little bit of farming, and certainly uh, an awful lot of illegal behavior.
1: That lifestyle was passed down from Terry's great-grandfather to his grandfather.
0: My grandfather would, in these days, be seen as a criminal and also a person that had a sexual addiction. But back then, they just referred to the fact that he sowed a lot of wild oats and he had a thing for women. But to be honest with you, uh, he lived a quite a decadent life and Uh, was arrested numerous times. And so it was in that environment that my own father was born. And he brought all of that dysfunction into his own family and his own relationship with me.
3: That dysfunction was evident in many ways. But there were some particularly traumatic moments that marked Terry's childhood. One of them took place during a car ride with his grandfather. Terry was only four or five years old at the time.
0: One night I was at my grandmother and grandfather's house. He came in. And uh, he said, Terry, let's go for a ride. I was a little bit shocked by that, but my grandmother kind of nodded. It would be okay. And we went out and got in his car and we drove out through the country. And all of a sudden we drove out on this two track, which went into the woods. And this was late in the evening toward dark. And we drive all the way back until this car was completely hidden among these trees. And I remember as a kid, as it would screech along the sides of the car, the, the, the branches, it felt like... Uh, witches, screams, and I was already afraid. And then all of a sudden, my grandfather told me, get in the back and get on the floor. And I was frozen, wondering what that was about. And so he yelled at me. I got on the back on the floor, and then he pulled a pistol out from the glove box. He gets out of the car and locks it, and then he disappears. And here I am as this little boy on the floor in in a car in the middle of the woods, not aware of what's going on. He's away. All these images come. The wind is blowing and he's gone for quite a period of time. And eventually he comes back. He's out of breath. He jumps in the car. He starts it. He hurriedly backs out. And then as he drives back down this country road toward our uh, family uh, house, he says, "Now, don't say anything to anyone. And to be honest with you, I was paralyzed with fear. And when I Eventually took the risk to tell my mother and dad about it. They dismissed it as no big deal. It was only years later, many years later, that my dad finally told me that he was off having uh, a marital infidelity with a woman that lived across the hollow and that he would hide his car up there in the woods and that taking me was a ruse.
3: Not long after that, Terry actually watched his grandfather die. He had had an aneurysm right in front of Terry. It was a violent and terrifying sight. But that's not the only time Terry saw death at a young age. He shared a bedroom with his great-grandmother, who died in the middle of the night in the bed right next to his.
0: Well, those are traumatic experiences for kids that are four and five years old. And it was for me, and it left me with a lot of Internal anxiety. I became afraid of the dark. I didn't like to be alone. And my parents never were able to put the link between these traumas and my behavior. So they just labeled me as a nervous child, which was hard to handle. So by the time I became a young teenager, I began to do a lot of acting out to both disprove that I was a nervous child, but to somehow deal with all that internal onks that was inside of me. I, I believe many of those issues were emotional ruptures. And I am absolutely convinced that every emotional rupture of our lives needs to have some place of repair. And if it's not repaired, it kind of leaves a piece of ourselves in that eternal sense of suspension in emotional pain.
1: Terry's childhood trauma would come back into his life in a big way when he least expected it. But for right now, we're going to jump back into the story of his formative years and his first experience with Jesus. It happened in the middle of the 1960s when he was a teenager.
3: Yeah, as you've probably figured out by now, Terry was not raised in a Christian home, but he did start going to a local youth group, not because he was particularly interested in God. His main motivation was meeting girls. But as we have heard so many times from GPS guests, God can and
1: will use anything to reach his children. Terry went to youth group with one purpose, to meet girls, but he ended up meeting Jesus. It happened at a Teen Challenge rally in Pittsburgh where Terry saw former gang members sharing powerful stories of transformation through Christ.
0: And then David Wilkerson comes and he preaches. And uh, in the midst of that sermon, he talked about the sword of the Lord coming through the land. And there was something that was going on with me because I got very, very afraid. But at the same time, there was a spiritual stirring occurred. And to make a long story short, toward the end of that sermon, he invited young people that were interested in receiving Christ to come down front and By that time, I mean, my heart was practically pounding out of my chest. And as a teenager, I made my way down and I knelt there on that floor and something happened inside of me. And I began to cry. I began to weep. I began to have this spiritual experience. And I I remember that one of the gang members actually came to me and helped me pray through what would have been seen as the sinner's prayer. And I remember turning around with tears streaming down my face. And here were all these adults that were part of this church gathered around. And for them, it seemed like I think the devil had just become a disciple. And they were so proud and took me back to the bus and uh, said they had been praying for me. And all of that had been uh, somewhat new to me. And yet there was something deep inside that had transpired. Now, I think the key to my story on some of these issues is that while god did something definitely in my life that night because i wasn't raised in an environment that would be consistent with christian discipleship i kind of lived a double life i would go to church on the weekend and then i would run wild with my friends all week long and that pretty much characterized my life
1: that double life terry mentioned continued as he went through college but as he approached the senior year he had another encounter with god and it changed the trajectory of his life.
0: After being out one night doing things I shouldn't have been doing, uh, the Spirit of the Lord just began to come upon me, and I felt the heaviness of the life I was living and felt drawn to the light of the life that Christ was promising. And after a long season of in and out, up and down of my Christian life, I can say that by the time I was leaving college, I had that profound experience Of one night saying, I want to live for Jesus. That then redirected my path and I was determined that I would move forward uh, that way. And what eventually happened is I felt the call of God in my life and I began to study to be able to go into Christian ministry.
3: Terry went to seminary for three years and became the pastor of a little country church. As God used him to tell people about Jesus, lives were transformed and the church grew. Let me mention here that Terry married a young woman he had known since grade school, and together
1: they had three children. As they were raising a family, Terry continued to pursue his vocation in ministry. He earned a doctorate from Fuller Theological Seminary and then took a job teaching evangelism at Alliance Theological Seminary. That's just north of New York City. He later became the head of that school. We'll pick up the story a few years later in California, where Terry and his family moved to plant a church.
0: It was God, always God, only God. But we started with seven people on our back porch, and some folks went with me, and we gathered together, a little group, and uh, next thing you know, we had almost 1,000 people attending this church within less than two years.
1: So it's the early 90s, and Terry is pastoring a growing church, teaching graduate courses,
3: taking on speaking engagements, and even writing a few books. Life is pretty good. Yeah, by all appearances, Terry had escaped his past. But as he was about to find out, it was not that simple. Beneath the surface, anxiety had been lurking. And when it broke through, it took over fast.
0: All of a sudden, I didn't want to hang out with anyone. Agoraphobia itself means fear of the marketplace, which means you're just afraid of going outside. You're afraid of going places. I didn't like to travel because I was battling this deep sense of panic, which, of course, then led uh, to depression. And uh, depression is a beast. Uh, it really is. It, it causes you to lose perspective on what's real and what is not real. Uh, it's hard to muster up hope.
3: Anxiety, panic attacks, deep depression. As Terry puts it, he lost it.
0: What it was, is it, it was the broken part of my myself saying, you must pay attention to this. You must deal with this. You, you must come to grips with what has happened to you in the past. And so I ended up going for treatment. I spent a month in a facility um, where they could help me deal with some of the biochemical issues. There was also a, uh, a bit of a Christian focus in this uh, particular facility. And that became the first step of a long journey to deal with the emotional brokenness in my life.
1: You could say very easily that the day Terry was institutionalized was the worst day of his life, rock bottom. But there in the pit with him was Jesus.
0: There is a degree to which what was my worst day really turned into my best day. And let me explain that. It's a terrible experience to have to go into a be institutionalized to deal with deep emotional issues. It's it's hard. It's humiliating. There's a lot of shame that you can wrap in that. But it was there that I really met Jesus saying that he could help me and that he could not only save my soul, but he could transform my inner life. You know, I, I had years earlier heard a statement by Corey Ten Boom, and the statement was, uh, the object of your greatest pain can become the source Uh, of your greatest blessing if you offer it to God. And here I was, institutionalized for 30 days, dealing with deep emotional issues. And that statement came into my head. The object of pain can become the source of blessing. And I remember praying in my desperation, God, even use this, if you can, to your glory, that I would be drawn more deeply to you. And as I began to move out of this uh, experience, I found an open door to talk to people that have deep emotional issues, and share with them a journey of healing. And then I've spent about 25 years now writing about that, uh, developing a doctoral program over that, uh, teaching people how to meet Jesus uh, in emotional trauma.
1: Terry founded Healing Care Ministries about 20 years ago to help people find healing and peace through Christ. The ministry is based in Ashland, Ohio, and focuses on three things. Empowering people to walk victoriously in Jesus, equipping people to help those who are hurting.
0: And helping broken people encounter Jesus in their own story through our Healing Care Center.
3: Given his own life experiences, Terry wants to encourage others to be vulnerable and to know there is hope in the darkest of times when you look to Jesus.
0: Jesus does some of his best work in the ditch. I've had some of my most powerful encounters with Christ take place in these broken memories of the past. And that's why I say that Jesus does some of his best work in the ditch. I was taught, and I think mistaught, that the key to Christianity is to try to arise out of your life, be better than you are, uh, to try to ascend to some high moral plane and that when you're there, kind of on your own mount of transfiguration, you'll be able to commune with Jesus. And what I found is the gospel's more powerful than that. The gospel of Christ is true, that Jesus is the friend of sinners. He is the dear and glorious physician, and he wants to meet us in our brokenness. Jesus is the greatest story the world has ever heard. Our story is part of Christ's story, and I wanna share my story so that other people can make their story part of Christ's story. Maybe there's somebody that's hurting or broken or hiding. And today we give them permission to step out in vulnerability in an atmosphere of grace.
3: If you want to know more about the grace and hope Terry Wardle found, you can start by surrendering control of your life to Jesus Christ. We can tell you more about that at our website. It's findpeacewithgod.net. God loves you, and he wants to meet you right where you are, even if, especially if you're in the ditch. You can start your journey with him right now at findpeacewithgod.net. Ditches of life.
1: I love that term rock bottom. These are all metaphors for the lowest points of one's life. And when traumatic events and catastrophic disasters occur, such as hurricanes, we think of Hurricane Dorian at present, people come face to face with some of the greatest challenges that they will ever encounter. There's good news, though. There are people who will come alongside of them to give them encouragement, and share the love and hope that is found in Jesus Christ. These are the men and women of the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team. And in just a second, we have the pleasure of learning about their mission here.
3: You're listening to GPS, God, People, Stories, a podcast production of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association.
2: God did not create you to be defeated, discouraged, and frustrated, a wandering soul seeking in vain for peace of heart and peace of mind. Billy Graham. He has bigger plans for you. He has a larger orb and a greater life for you. The answer to your problem, however great, is as near as your Bible and as real as your heartbeat. The Bible says in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Upon the authority of God's word, I can declare to you today that Christ is the answer to every baffling problem that plagues you. In him is found the cure for anxiety, a balm for bereavement, a healing for our wounds, and a sufficiency for our inadequacy. You can turn to Jesus Christ today and find him more than adequate to fill all the longings and desires of your soul and take away that gloomy, pessimistic feeling and give you a reason for living and a reason for existence.
1: You can find out more about allowing Jesus to replace the discouragement in your life with joy. And where you can find this is our website, findpeacewithgod.net. That's findpeacewithgod.net.
3: You know, as we're recording this episode of GPS, Hurricane Dorian has devastated parts of the Bahamas and is heading up the southeastern coast of the United States. The Billy Graham Rapid Response Team is deploying chaplains to areas impacted by the storm. Now, we have with us right now the international director of the Rapid Response Team, Jack Monday. Thank you for being here, Jack. Uh, could you tell us what the Rapid Response Team does in general, and then what you expect to be doing in the aftermath of of Hurricane Dorian?
4: Yes, yeah, so I'd be glad to. Um, the Billy Graham Rapper Response Team really uh, was birthed following 9-11 when Franklin Graham, uh, his heart was really moved with compassion with so many people who were devastated, and there weren't enough chaplains, clergy, pastors, counselors to speak to everyone. Since then, uh, God has given uh, just an amazing amount of favor to the Billy Graham Rapper Response Team, where today... Uh, our mission is to um, respond in a moment's notice anywhere in the world to provide emotional and spiritual care to those people who are suffering following some sort of a major catastrophic event.
3: So, what does that look like on the, in the in the wake of Hurricane Dorian?
4: Well, as we are right now in Florida, for example, because of evacuations, a lot of people are in evacuation shelters. And so we have chaplains in the evacuation shelters. And and being there, what it looks like is uh, just engaging in conversation with people, talking with them, listening to their story, um, and asking good questions. Uh, We never ask the question, how are you doing? We always ask, how are you holding up? Because how are you doing? in our Country is a bit of a cliche, and uh, and just you know follow the leading of the Lord and uh, where that conversation goes. And many times when they see Billy Graham on our shirt, (laughs) they initiate the spiritual uh, conversation, and uh, and so it's really praying with people, it's comforting people, Uh, it's giving the opportunity to pray with people for many who maybe have never made a decision for the Lord, or maybe they did and they've been far from the Lord and several years. Uh, In the case of the Bahamas, uh, we have chaplains on the ground as of uh, this morning, and uh, they're there to uh, work with the church leaders. Uh, When we go into another country like that, we really take our cues from uh, pastors and churches as well as uh, government authorities and to uh, identify the areas where the need is the greatest.
3: So what can we do to help? What can those of us who are listening, people listening, what can we do to help?
4: Well, you know, we we really do encourage people to pray, and um, and not just for the sake of saying that. Mr. Graham was one advocate of prayer. He always would say, "Pray, pray, and pray." And so we encourage people to uh, pray not only for the folks that have been devastated, and lost their homes, their lives have been turned upside down, uh, their dreams have uh, been crushed. Uh, their hope is washed away in many cases they're only seeing what they see and uh, so pray for the people but also pray for the Billigram rapid response team Uh, chaplains are going into a a devastated area Uh, I've been in those areas before myself Uh, the sights and the smells that you have as as a human being is uh, more than what most people would ever ever want to see and so we pray that God will use these experienced crisis-trained chaplains to uh, bring His hope uh, to the people who need it most. The website would be billigram.org.org. and you can there's stories right now on our homepage that uh, talk about not only the Bahamas, but our other deployments that we have, such as Odessa, Texas.
1: We certainly will be praying
4: for you and
1: your team, and I know those that are listening will as well. And We sure appreciate you giving some time here uh, to share with us uh, about uh, the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team. And everybody who's listening, thank you for doing so.
3: I'm Jim Kirkland. And I'm Phil Fleischman. We also want to say a word of thanks to Micah Tyler for allowing us to use some of his music on this episode. GPS, God People Stories. It's an outreach of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Always good news. You
2: are more than a clever word.
1: There's a song buried deep inside my soul,
2: beneath the surface.